Like Fish, think about every band that preceded them, like literally every band you can think of. You know, the Money Printer is a massive force in the music industry. Fish, like, really beat the Money Printer. You know, they never became the biggest band in the world. They never became, like, the Beatles or anything like that. But they, without without the support, right, they drew 70,000 people to their own festivals. Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Yeah, welcome back to High Hash Rate. Today, uh, we've got another synergy between Rock, Paper, Bitcoin. Uh, People have loved uh, the first two episodes that we did with Business Cat. And today, we've got uh, his his, uh, show co-host, Fundamentals. How's it going, man? Going good. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, one of the when I first started listening to your guys' podcast, um, one of the things you talked about several times was jam bands. Uh, you mentioned fish. Um, you've kind of that's kind of been the theme for at least some of the segments of your shows. And uh, so I really wanted to get you on because we haven't had a chance to talk to anybody who kind of shares that uh, that interest, that passion. But today yeah. is also um, the anniversary, the 28th anniversary of the passing of Jerry Garcia. So yeah. um, the kind of easy way to lead into this one today, man, like tell me about, uh, tell me about your, your jam band. Like sounds like fish is your, is your band. Yes. How many so, times have you seen them? I mean, I don't know. It's, cl- it's close to a hundred. It's not quite a hundred. I know that when I get really close, I'll have to count it up so that I know, but it's pretty close. I, my first show was in 1993, um, New Year's Eve. And I, I saw three dead shows prior to that. And then with Fish, it was just absolute, like absolute love. And at the time it was like, I will just, this is, this is it, you know? And yeah. in, if you were around in like 1994 and saw that and saw the energy that they had at the time, it was something super special and it was coinciding with the dead, but you know, the dead was sort of white, you know, they really weren't bringing their hottest heat at the time. And, you know, really, I mean, Jerry, I think was supposedly cleaning up uh, around August 9th, 1995 when mm-hmm. he did pass, but you know, you can listen to the tapes and, you know, like, you know, even 91, 92 is probably the last really, you know, good, the last like really heat, hot years. Um, hmm. I don't, I don't know. For me, I felt, I remember being at a dead show, knowing that Fish was nearby. This was like in 1994 and mm-hmm. feeling really deeply regretting it and hmm. then made sort of made a decision. I was just going to see every Fish show I could. What's uh what's your favorite venue or the favorite A yeah. location and B your favorite show that you've been to? Got it, got it, got it. Um favorite show that I've been to, uh, it's such a tough question, right? You just you love can, them all. Can I I'm going to say I, yeah, go ahead. Can I ask I just want to know briefly like what where you're coming from so far? Like where you're coming from in the world? Are you like very young at at this point? Are you uh, oh, no, what are you into? I am, well, I guess 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna autistically answer the question <laughs> as I'm, we I'm autistically ask the questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, yeah. So I was in college in the '90s, you know, I'm in my late 40s, right? So, I, and I don't know if that's what you meant by that. No, question. just like, what, yeah, like, what are you studying during that time? Like, what's what? What are yep. the in- Got it. So at the time, so I'm in college and I'm studying something called actuarial science. It's okay. To be an, an actuary, uh, which I did become and learned to hate everybody who ever became that. And it wasn't until finding Bitcoin that I learned to love the actuary inside myself and decide, you know, it's, it's a whole yeah. nother, it's a whole nother journey. Can you, quick um, side note, quick, quick side yeah. note. Yeah, you just uh, briefly describe what an actuary is. I don't know what an actuary is. So actuary is like a mathematician for say insurance companies or pensions. And oh, like a, like a quant. Is that right? No. It, um, some of them, I, I was one of them that became quants, you know, that would end up working say on a Interesting. trading, okay, trading okay. desk. But typically, historically, you know, they used like the mortality tables and calculated what premium should be for life insurance, things like that. So, so you're studying this stuff while you're going to the dead. Concerts, oh, yeah. Or the fish concert. OK. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted that was my quick side note was um, there's a picture a few months ago of Jerome Powell spotted at one of the um, dead and company shows. And then like one of my good buddies, he's a hedge fund manager. He's, he loves the dead. He's, he's going to see, I was going to go with him to see fish in Denver in a few weeks, but I have a wedding instead, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot of my friends who are in finance actuary is, you know, it's kind of part of finance or it's in that sphere, right? It's just a lot of people like that who are, um, unfortunately, the biggest for finance, yes. yeah. I was just wondering what, I don't know what that relationship is. It's, you know what it is? I see this in Bitcoin. I've seen it in fish. I've seen it with a lot of the movements I've been a part of. Uh, people, A, love validation. They want they want the thing to be validated. I remember, like, I'll just list the celebrities that were spotted at fish shows over the years, like Fred Savage, Bill Walton, um, yeah. Jeremy Shockey. That's if you were a Giants fan mm-hmm. <laughs> in New York. But, like, the, people just want that validation. And it's, I mean... I hope we could talk about BlackRock a little today, but it's like oh, yeah. it's, an, it's it feels like th- that that feels like that's happening, and it's just like people want, uh, you know, before they do something risky or they give their life to something risky, they'd like to see something in, uh, you know, that has a standing in society validated. Right. And I feel like finance guys have gone the way of, you know, they always wanted to be connected to some counterculture. Oh yeah, that, you know, to validate the fact that they are a human being, and um, and to they, compensate for wearing a suit and tie to work every day, they throw on some totally. tie dye and they do they do some LSD at the show. So like people used to wear the Jerry Garcia ties back in the day to you know I'm, <laughs> express I'm, themselves. I'm quirky. I'm different. It's yeah, Friday. You know. were, were you living in these two worlds? Like, did you have? Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, so that's I, an yeah. interesting conflict there. Um, you know, and I started working in 1996 that was when i graduated college and um, i'm in the northeast so i went to temple university which is in north philadelphia you see it on twitter every day through like the lens of dystopian cop cars but um it's it's a you know it's a wild kind of a wild place and you know going to northeast idyllic college campuses to see fish and hanging out with (laughs) you know the kinds of people that got into those colleges um, was pretty good contrast, but it was good for me because I kind of knew like for, for whatever, for whatever it was worth at the time, like going to fish shows was about meeting people and showing myself sort of what I'm capable of 
in the world. And like, I knew immediately who I connected with, you know, um, like I was basically a self homeschooled, almost high school dropout that <laughs> managed to, you know, go to college and, yeah. um, got into the college I got into, um, I like couldn't sit in high school. I had to just leave. I couldn't sit there and right. But I was like really good at math. So again, you know, I go test in, I get really good at like math, math SATs, despite not going to, um, (laughs) despite really not showing up for high school. I like would sit home with my math book because I loved it. Um, Solving problems. You would sit at home with your math book. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing. And that's like, you know, so I play guitar and do math. And I, um, I don't do the math as Greg Foss might want you to do, <laughs> but I do math. Um, and I feel like and, not you know, Tell Taleb, you do math and statistics equations for fun and post guess, them on Twitter. Yeah. 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 So, so I would say sort of, so here we are in the early, early to mid nineties. I'm sort of finding higher society on Northeast college campuses, seeing my favorite band and utilizing this new thing called the internet to meet people and trade tapes and find their music and get tickets and have places to crash when I go up to these places. And there's all the trust is there still because it's such an innocent time. And it reminds me so much of minus the trust but using these tools, using Usenet and IRC um, to do all this really, you know, reminds me now of using Noster and using uh, open source. Uh, right. You know, yeah, it's it's, it's funny. Lines. There's a lot of there's a lot of the old internet that's still there's uh, remnants of it, or there's still like vibrant communities that have that old internet feeling. And one of those one of those spaces, one of those corners of the internet is uh, where you can go. Anytime you go to a fish show, widespread panic, uh, string cheese, like any of these popular touring bands, there's somebody recording it, and then they they share the live recordings. Um, there's like sites that you can go and download pretty much every show, like the, you know, hundred shows you've been to a fish, you can find all of those recordings online for the most part. Absolutely, and a fish was the first band to really make soundboard quality recordings available, like the night of their show. Hmm. So like you could walk home from the show and literally download the show that wow. night. And, um, you know, they really did embrace, I would say, you know, pretty much, it, you know, it's an open source movement. They were certainly took the cue from the dead that it was a very successful way to, uh, you know, to build a grassroots movement. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have, if you guys know that I like, I have an obsession about, it's not just about fish, but about the connection um, between fish, what seems to be nonsensical lyrics. Okay. Yeah. Connection to, to cypherpunk signal. I talk about it on the podcast, but I wrote like a fairly sizable essay on this. And I have like, I have like five more in my brain that I, it's, um, I, I used to, I started it out thinking it was kind of a joke, like mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> and I have convinced myself that no. We, that we are at like the net this is the nexus of something meaningful potentially um you, yeah elaborate on that a little bit because this is what i wanted to start to getting into like some of this yeah so i'm not i'm not specifically saying bitcoin signal but i am saying definitely like um pat there's some kind of and it can't be bitcoin signal because they start you know they started in 1983 
and you know writing stupid songs like um a song called golgi apparatus which is like a you know a funny name in a science term but song goes i look into the finance box just to check my status mm. I look into the microscope, I see Golgi apparatus and <laughs> it sounds funny, but in like, so 1986, could you look into a finance box and check your status? Hmm. You know, like it, hmm. it's again, and that's maybe, maybe that's, maybe you're like, okay, check. I'm not really seeing the connection there, but the Golgi apparatus thing too now connects to um, mitochondria, which is, a decentralized network of, of the cell of energy creation in the cell. Um, when I got into Bitcoin, I was reading like I think seven consecutive books on mitochondria, and then I heard somebody say Bitcoin was like mitochondria. And I said, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And um, then hmm. it, that it kind of clicked, and then yeah, just like listening to Golden Apparatus, and it's like, okay, that's that's weird. Okay, they. I said that right after I mentioned looking into the finance box just to check my status, which, you know, it's not like they sat there with, a, you know, looking at a node and saying, oh, my God, I can check, I can verify, I can verify my financial status. But um, Right, right. So that was like the entree. And then I started thinking, okay, you know what, I, I think I can prove, like, mathematically that fish had no idea what the hell they were doing yet they were unwittingly potentially being guided uh just take the name of the band fish mm -hmm. in 1983 the drummer john fishman um they named the band fish but they wanted to spell it ph because they thought it would be easier to copyright <laughs> um i think the word phish is the hardest thing to google like on earth because you're just going to get what the word is known for now right which happens to be in our world, maybe the worst, most vicious attack on privacy you can think of. Now, they certainly weren't wow, thinking. Interesting. So now, and this goes back to like, why do all these finance guys gravitate to fish and these jam bands? I think there are forces of angelic forces and demonic forces both saw the potential of this band to reach people and were both musing them. <laughs> you know, they were, both, okay. they were both hitting their muse. Um, so I think... Uh, I, I, uh, I don't know how to uh, express it really, but we've talked about this on other shows where it's, there's something about the, the patterns, the rhythms to, you know, like you said, fish, their music, just the, the way that they express themselves and it, and it, it, it draws in community. It draws in fans. It draws all these people who it built, it builds a very strong com flourishing community. The people that stay very, tightly connected and there's something similar about bitcoin that mm -hmm. it's if you are predisposed to think a certain way or to to recognize certain things in life or in patterns in the world and the physical universe and i think that there's something about bitcoin that once you catch that signal you're you're going to go closer to it. You're going to, you're going to build a community around it. And I think that there's, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that force is. Right? Like, and I think maybe that's what like religions and mythologies use like these very metaphorical languages or a uh, very, <clears throat> very metaphorical language to describe very difficult to, you know, reason about what it ex what really is going on here. 
Yeah, this is really interesting because I agree. And I think the reason this may be the answer, to the, the answer to this may be the reason, you, you know, you, you may never see something called hyper Bitcoinization. You may never see like fish. Think about every band that preceded them, like literally every band you can think of. Um, you know, the money printer is a massive force in the music industry. True. And, you know, I think that there was an era in the 60s and 70s where you just had bands that really could, you know, they, you knew you could produce great albums, but they were owned. You mm-hmm. know, the you listen to stories of like the kind of slavery Jimi Hendrix was in, like his manager faked a kidnapping to look like he was supporting him because Jimmy was not showing up to complete like four albums. He owed him. Mm-hmm. He literally like staged like a, 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 a gunpoint, a gunpoint kidnapping where he came to rescue him huh. like things like, and so there were like really bizarre ownership structures going on and fish like really beat the money printer. You know, they never became the biggest band in the world. They never became like, the Beatles or anything like that, but they, without, without the support, right. They drew 70,000 people to their own festivals. They they became quite big. And I think that might be, you know, this might be what we should hope potentially we get from Bitcoin because it, um, you know, this may be the best it gets from a shared value from truly shared values that you stick to with integrity. Right. Right, because what draw like this is the com the common thing to me. What drew people to fish was well, a people love people love like knowing something is better than everybody else it thinks it is. And you know, with fish, it was obvious like way before I got there, um, it was really obvious that they were better. They were going to be right. They were going right. to be way way bigger. They were going to graduate quite quickly. Right. Right. Everybody assumed they would have some big sellout song, um, you know, and every time they came out with a song that would appeal to a lot of people, everybody just said, ah, mm-hmm. this is it. Yeah. This is the time. Say goodbye. Right. And um, but everybody had this value. Hey, you know, yeah. So we like being able to see something that's better than people. Other people think it is. But there really is shared values like in fish. It's they, and there's you know, and there's and there's a different vibe in, a, in like a fish crowd or just it's not just fish, but I'd say you're probably right that this, they are the, uh, like the, the platonic ideal of what you're talking about. Right. But like the, just the, the community and like, it just feels like you're not in the real world for a, a few hours. And I've right. taken, like I took my uh, oldest, my oldest daughter who was a musician. She's now 18, but when she was, I want to say like 11, I started taking her to shows and she used to say, man, life is easy here and i do i'm into a lot of jam bands like i was really into mo i was i'm really into umphreys mcgee still oh, yeah really love, love, love those guys love umphreys mcgee i love um, uh i wish i love ween not really yeah. exactly the same but uh same but just i think different. that in, ter- in terms of like really the network effect i uh, dare i dare say there there really hasn't been a second best sure uh, there's been nobody that really could do what fish did and honestly still 40 years in right and i will say they're still i'm not going to say still because they they continue to evolve but i believe them to be at, at the peak of their powers overall 
you know, they're not bringing like they're not punching you in the ball sack the way they used to. Right. You know, Trey doesn't have the speed he had. But when you look at the new songs that they bring every year, they're amazing. And, you know, what they're able to do as a band is still pretty incredible. And so they did this without the support of the money printer. They held to their shared values. They had memes like Sharon in the Groove. Um, you know, they had secret language to troll people like they and they, you know, they knew like they looked at the tapes as a way to get these messages out to people. So they would do a show in Rhode Island and say, when we play these notes, everyone's going to fall on the floor. And then when we come back to this venue in six months, we're going to do that. And half the people are going to be like, what the fuck is going on? And they thought that was the greatest, funniest thing ever. And so <laughs> that really they always had this connection to the crowd, like a really intimate connection. Mm -hmm. Um if it wasn't the language, they would. There was a tour where we play chess against them. Um, yeah, and we ironically would meet at the Greenpeace table, <laughs> and again, demonic forces alike with you know angelic forces, I think. But like, you know, they they for an entire tour, we the audience made a move and they made a move and they just dragged this big chessboard across. They did. They would throw beach balls into the crowd and play whatever was popping off of. You know, there's always some way that they would go out of their way to, um, you know, to connect. And the, the other thing I would say, and this isn't obviously exclusive to fish, but um, the quality is extraordinary, right? I mean, there's nothing, it's so above average. Uh, my oldest daughter just like, she just got into Michael Jackson. It's really strange to say that that just happened, but yeah. her big thing is like, dude, this dude didn't do anything like that wasn't above average. She's like, right. Oh my God, he just shows up and makes everything better. <laughs> and I, you know, I like, I look at fish that way they never, uh, they never really mailed it in. You know, they had the rough, there was, you know, Oh three, Oh four before they really broke up was a rough, time and they don't they didn't think they were mailing it and they were you know they just didn't have it because they were bogged down by all the drug use and something um something that i just came to mind was that the way you know that a band like fish right like when they when they play their music the energy that they put out it kind of takes the chaos the entropy and randomness of the crowd and puts everybody on into a rhythm into a, a mind state into a um it kind of in it tunes everybody in to movements and signal um it, it just orders the the unordered when they just start playing some goofy song um and uh to i think to tie this in i think if you're listening you don't really know jack shit about fish um there was a there was a there's a tweet that was going viral this week on Twitter and it was um, Thelonious Monk playing in, you know, some great performance from the 1960s. I don't remember exactly which um, performance it was. You shared but, this, right? Yeah. And there yeah. was just all these people, a lot of, you know, the blue checks, as they say, um, they're like, this sucks. Like what's going on? This is all off key. This is strange. And it, it made me think <laughs> similar to Bitcoin, similar to even fish, right? Like it's, if, if your experience, with music is just like top forties pop music, like the three chords that pretty much every pop song is like, it's following the certain, I don't know, pattern or this just way of doing things that nobody really questions. Um, 
and then you see something like jazz or you see something like fish and the more you pay attention, the more you learn about what's going on, the more you appreciate it. And the more you see, um, the beauty in it, whereas, you know, the quote unquote normie, is just like, what the fuck is this like noise? Like, I don't get it. Yeah. I think like, if you looked at how the record industry tried to not, I, I'll just say they're like fit electro records, I think was their, um, you know, their record company Their label. Yeah. And how they tried to actually monetize them. I think it's a very similar parallel. Like it was a similar aesthetic and absurd look to how art TradFi and the, the dominant finance industry tried to monetize Bitcoin. And I think it's going to continue to look like that. All right. That's, um, that's, that's what we'll get into yeah, in you know, next. But uh, I do, yeah. right. So I do think like that, that, like it was like they tried, you know what I mean? And Fish just put their head down and wrote blocks, right? They just did 180, 190 shows a year, mm-hmm. got in their van and just, and, you know, practiced 11 hours a day and just put their head down and played shows. Right. And I think the, the magic really can't, comes from their connection to each other and they, their connection to the fans but they really are what they say they are. And I think that's the parallel. And that's what people are drawn to, to both fish and Bitcoin is that it's, they are nothing more and nothing less than what they say they are. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. It, nothing more, but nothing less. It is uh, what you see is what you get and you can get an intimate knowledge or information. The more you study it, the more you interact with it, the more you experience it. That, that just yeah. it points out so much about proof of work, I would say. It's like if you are the thing you say you are and you do the work to show it, like you can just see it, you know? It's self-evident, yeah, right. Like when yeah, you see a, did... a, 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 a castle in Spain on the mountainside built of stone that's been there for hundreds of years, right? Like it's just this, the, the resiliency, the robustness, the quality is self-evident. You don't, have, you don't need a, a building inspector to come look at it and say yeah that's 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 it's good truth people too though and so we did an episode about this and we didn't plan to it's just we you know we we go at um 8 a.m on saturday mornings and <laughs> i think it was a good, good time that's it, we, it was we show up and i saw the time 8 a.m and i just got into this kind of rant about um how good it feels how satisfying it is to keep your word and you know even if it's just being on time for something and you see it, it's, it's enormously satisfying. But like we got into this idea that every time you give your word, you're hashing. And every time you keep your word, you actually find a block on yourself and you, then you validate it and you over and over again, you develop special powers. when, if you are someone who can reliably keep your word and you know yeah. what, Dependable. you can look at a dude, you could look at a dude, right. And pretty much, have a sense that there's somebody who keeps their word and um you know that is that's to me that's that is what integrity really is it's not a morality thing it's just like are you what you say you are um i think and- yeah and I, I think that's my interpretation of what like in you know i, I always bring up the bible or christianity because that's the religion i know best but it's there's these are found in multiple major mythologies but like 
keeping faith in God or faith in Christ. Like what that's really saying is like, there's the, the natural world, the, the sun rising, um, rain for the crops, like things that you can depend on to have patterns to repeat and to happen over and over again. Like that is the, that is what you're depending on or put you're putting faith in. And if you focus on those fundamentals, no uh, pun intended, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you can have a foundation for your life. And that's really what yeah. it is. And, and people who do that, you can have, a, you can build dependability on somebody, whether it's, you know, an employee, a family member, your, your spouse, um, it's a foundation for that relationship because everything in the universe is perspective based. So it's, it's you, your perspective to the other thing, the external matter. And some people, build, yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. Some people though, they keep their word by debasing others. Um, what do you mean by that? So I would say, well, I'll say like our, our fiat banking system keeps its word by debasing others, mm -hmm. right? Okay. We're going to do what we say we're going to do by basically suck, essentially by stealing from everybody else to, if you buy happen. a third, if you buy a 30 year bond from us in 30 years, you will, re you will get that uh, maturity. Yeah, we you get your money back. <laughs> and it will be the money that you're expected but, but there's an analogy with face value too. right like i had said i had said through the last six years that um as an example of my definition of integrity i viewed donald trump as somebody who had integrity because he actually was who he said he was gotcha right? yeah yeah but he but he probably is a guy he is like the most fiat dude like that's ever lived and like i always said <laughs> if there's a calculus <laughs> equation for the the highest time, like the time preference as the goes to infinity, like that's the dude. So, yeah. he, you know, it's like keeps his word by debasing others, yeah, but right. in that way as well. Right. Good, but, yeah. but, but does have integrity, right. You, mm -hmm. So you can have integrity, but yet how do you have it? Right. Well, um, exactly. can, can I just add to what you, that statement? Yeah. I think that the, that at this point in time, the most fiat people that have can ever exist are existing right now. If <laughs> it's true. Oh, yeah, you true. could just like line them up like trump is one clinton is one instagram fucking the kardashians. Uh, epstein is one of them the kardashians is one of them. Well, you know why it's really i mean i probably it's just related to the money supply mm -hmm. right so yeah more, of course more money that is, if you subsidize something you'll get more of it yeah i mean it's it's Reagan just, the more money that's out there the more fucking fiat i mean and the more really the more control uh they end up having right and yeah the more, the more, you, it, the more people nothing, softly follow the rules. There's nothing more fiat, right, at this point in time than BlackRock. <laughs> That's uh, right. Yeah. So, and, and I was, I was are, looking for an intro. I was looking for they have, really a window. <laughs> and they have um, filed for the Bitcoin ETF. A lot of people have, have read a lot into that uh, news. A lot of people interpret it as, oh, you know, some people think that some Larry Fink has a phone. Uh, you know, a direct line to somebody in the government, they, whoever that is, um, that they know that the, that they'll be approved, um, and that the government wants them to, to lead the Bitcoin ETF, uh, you know, situation. Others think it's, you know, they're hedging their bets. Um, some people just think it's, you know, uh, opportunistic. They're just trying to make money off of a popular product. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Okay. I, so I've 
I have a good bit of, I'll say professional experience okay. that leads me to, um, and I did a, we did an episode about this. It was episode two. We called it root causes. Uh, I had a, after it's already like a distant memory that BlackRock was bailed out by the bank of England back in September of last year. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't heard anybody. <laughs> the guilt market, anybody. right? So yeah, I, right. I, I, I haven't seen headlines about that either. So do you want to maybe just cover a little bit about how they got bailed out by the bank of England and so the... we're really why. So what happened? So this was almost a preview and I wrote about it then I called, I said, oh, this could be the canary of the coal mine. Um, I was a pension expert. I should tell you guys, I was a pension actuary. So I would use my actuarial background to determine how much pension plans, how, you know, how do they should fund themselves, how they should invest their, um, how should they invest their assets to match their liabilities? That was really my You're, you're basically thing. like uh, allocation percentages? Yeah, but I, I was an actuary like who would sign, like literally sign every year. Like they, have, <clears throat> you know, sign off on the reserves. But then I became. You were basically I, assessing the risk and the amount of, you know, I don't know, insurance or. Uh, what? Well, so way, there yeah. is. A, I see yeah. there's a lot. So they, they require like a pension require a corporate pension requires an actuary to sign off and say they're solvent and they have enough yeah. reserves to back they the, can, okay. you know, okay. that they have a, they're sufficiently funded. Uh, eventually I moved into the, into investments and like liability driven investments, mm-hmm. otherwise, <clears throat> otherwise known as LDI. And um, so in September was really like the, almost the end of this story that started in 1974, where we started this thing called ERISA, the Employee Retirement uh, Insurance, I think it's called, Insecurity Act, mm-hmm. which actually gave the rules that guaranteed all the pensions. And this happened because of a car company called Studebaker hmm. went uh, rugged the yeah. pensioners, right? Yeah. So we had nice, you know, nicey government led, and, you know, this is part of what the fuck happened after 1971, although I don't know how many people put this on the timeline, but like sure. Arisa came right in there. Okay. So they came right in and rates went to 18% eventually by 1982 or 1983. So you had companies with these pension liabilities, uh, but they were valued at basically zero because the rates were so high. Mm-hmm. Um, quick bond math when rates are high you didn't have the bftp program right. to uh, no that's right so to, your present yeah. value is very low mm-hmm. and so what they were doing was jacking up the, the benefits so they didn't have to so because it was, capital pre, capital depreciation on those pensions was yeah. terrible well they didn't want to have to you know negotiate pay raises yeah. say for yeah. these guys so they could do it by increasing the pension formula for them and making mm-hmm. them, them richer and it the economics at the time at 18% or 15 integrity through debasement. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So fast forward now, right? Rates go eventually down to zero and liabilities of pensions, you know, even like your average company potentially has like a billion dollar pension liability. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the UK you had, um, so the liability driven market, I should say, didn't really take off in the US, but it did in the UK. Um, I was very, I was somebody who was trying to, um, I was working with a company. We were really trying to do it in the US and just the incentives and the rules were not, condu- were never conducive to it. 
and it didn't really it didn't really take. But in the UK, they they were all about it. So BlackRock, they were basically kicked out. Essentially, what you do is you look at your um, you construct a portfolio for a pension in this way. You look at the risk. You know, kind of look at all the you know you do portfolio construction. You look at all the assets available, and then you say, what's the risk free asset? And when you're doing normal asset only uh, portfolio construction, you say that is a 30 day bond or three month LIBOR or something like that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Three months. So for now, um, when you're in pension space, when you choose the risk-free asset to be the say 30 year bond, what happens is all of your risk metrics come back, come to, you know, come to a minimization point. Okay. And you see sort of a beautiful thing happen where when you build a portfolio based on long duration bonds, you get much better, you know, you get much lower standard deviations of you know, much lower risk mm-hmm. because the liabilities are very long and you want to match them, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And so to, for in layman terms, if rates go down by 10% and um, that's like a, you know, the liability goes up by like 120%. You want to have, you want to make sure you have long enough duration to cover that. Gotcha. Because that's exactly what happened, right? Right, <laughs> rates. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, so in the UK, that was a common practice, BlackRock, the leader there, right? Okay. You had others, other smaller players, uh, Schroeder's legal in general, you had other smaller players that also were involved in this bailout, but BlackRock's the biggest one. And, you know, I think most people don't understand why BlackRock had all these long bonds to begin with. Right. They looked at it like I think the majority. Of the, so this is what I complained about on my podcast. I complained that even in Bitcoin space, where the smartest guys and guys I respect a lot still looked at BlackRock as saying, "Well, they just over leveraged to get higher yield on hmm. longer bonds." But re, but I do. I thought it was important at the time to say, you know, it's actually important to understand why BlackRock was doing what it was doing because they were they were a liability driven manager and they held. Now they that you know it was a coincidence that this is the greatest performing asset ever because rates just did nothing to go down, right? And there was this leverage effect. Um, but what happened? So rates. So to, to back up a second, like rates yeah. going down from the 1980s until recently, that yeah. is how every legend of of finance and uh, that yeah. we see and talk to on like that's how they made their money. Ray Dalio is a great yep. example. Like they just bought bonds for 40 years and the rates kept going down. So they just kept making more money. They constructed the 60-40 portfolio. Like everything in modern finance, a lot of the orthodoxy is based on the, uh, the expectation or just the rhythm that they were in of just we just buy bonds and they just go up. That's just what that's happens. Right. It's NGU on bonds. Yeah. Right. And that's downstream of the Fed's choice, correct? Right. That's an interest rate thing? Yeah. So what the Fed does is they control the short-term borrowing rate, right? Over, yeah, the overnight rate, the federal which, funds rate. Yeah, that's right. So, But what really drives these um, the values of these bonds are the rates at longer terms, so mm-hmm. say on 10-year, 20-year, 30-year. Yeah, there's generally a yield curve, right? Like the a yeah. short dated bond should have a shorter interest rate because there's less time, um, you know, in a long bond, a thirty year bond or whatever would, you know, theoretically should always have a, a higher rate. Right, right now, that's not theoretically. 
<laughs> yeah. So right now, yeah. the it's been inverted, which many people yes. interpret as a coming recession or um, it's a lot of predictions based on that for yep. negative negative outcomes in the future. But okay. So, so BlackRock has to now, they have to hold, now they have to like hedge these, you know, they have to now hedge their positions because when, when things do, when, when rates do go up, because it's not like they go straight down continuously tick by tick, right? Right. You have year, you know, there are years where rates would go up. It wasn't like they went straight down every year. Sure. Sure. Okay. So um, usually during recessions, rates would come back right. up and. It's a secular bull market. It's not a linear progression. So they needed, so what they did, you know, they would have sort of liquidity hedges. This is just now, if you're running a long bond portfolio as a liability scheme, you have, then you have a risk management program around there to make sure that you don't get totally liquidity squeezed mm -hmm. if things, you know, if, if rates do go up, if things go the wrong way. And it was really, this is, it was really this, what, um, you know, when when rates went straight up, they sort of found themselves naked, right? And the and the tide went out. When the tide went out, and what happened was what they had to do to put those to re up those hedges, really is what people think drove the gilts up like a hundred bips okay. on those right. couple of days in September. And so what happened was they, the the Bank of England did they created essentially something equivalent to the BTFP. Right. This was, I mean, this really is essentially, I mean, it is mirror of Silicon Valley Bank, meaning it's caught, it's caused by rate rising. It just saw it earlier. Um, you know, nobody, nobody asked, well, did the pension liability go down? The truth is we actually still probably don't know because that valuation report, this doesn't, still doesn't get released for several months. Right. <laughs> Whether or not the liabilities and the pensions they're recovering even come down conventionally with them. That's why you need these hedges. That's why. You need, you know, it's it's not enough to just say, well, we, we, this liability is going to save us, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in so, how, time, uh, yeah, you have to meet your shorts in, in real time. And so, how does this tie into their foray into Bitcoin? Okay, so well, what I believe is happening is that, um, so I believe I believe BlackRock at the time said they probably they they I think they got together and said we never want to have another bailout again. So I, I man, that's probably probably a high priority. Well, that's yeah, a bailout gives the bail like a government or the central that's leverage over you. It's like in prison, somebody does something nice okay, for you. That's, I was you owe ask, them well, in the future. The more bailouts you're getting from the yep. government, the more you owe them. Oh. And you know, I was I'm kind of writing this writing this up, and I just tried googling BlackRock bailout. And it turns out BlackRock has been the advisor on every like bailout we've done, mm. even back like back before, even before 08. So BlackRock loved being involved in the bailouts. They don't like mm -hmm. to be on the losing end of the bailout. Right. The they end, they, they the like to go in and pick the pick the bones of, of what's yes, left. Kind of like right. JP JP Morgan did with uh, uh, S or whatever bank they acquired. Right? They just they got pretty much free equity and in the bank they purchased recently that's a nice yeah. visual by the way doing the pick the bones yeah that's what they do so i believe so i believe strongly now too that blackrock is done with bonds like they want to this move is i think about getting out of the their bond bags like dumping their bags of bonds which they're the yeah. biggest in the world and it coincides 
it seems to coincide with a an awakening about Bitcoin within BlackRock too, because of this, you know, there was this paper that was leaked a couple of weeks ago that had some absurd suggestions. Right, right, right. I know what you're talking about. An 85%. Yeah. That, and that's the thing that I remember wait, wait, at the what's, time. What's the paper? What's the paper? Oh, it was, um, it was like an internal research report that was all over Twitter. And it suggest, you know, it showed like basically a portfolio construction that suggested an 85% allocation of Bitcoin. Uh, right. Okay, and I and, and not only that, I think it also had like, this really isn't even, it should be more than 85%, but we just can't say hundred percent. You know, it was, it didn't say that word for word, but it was like, we say 85, it maybe should be more. When I wrote, like I wrote this little essay on the bailout mm-hmm. and I remember writing in there that the correct move in my actuarial, you know, if I was the actuary, the correct move would be replace all bonds with Bitcoin. That, and that would have been, to me, the right thing. So, the, And that would mm-hmm. not be 85%. 60-40. The thing about, so, well, basically, LDI became 60-40, but with long bonds, mm-hmm. right? And so then, then it would really be like, okay, well, let's just kick out the long bonds and, but I, and put in Bitcoin. But the thing is, um, you know, when you go through portfolio construction, you have to look at the universe of assets too. And Bitcoin just makes all of those, all of them look like shit too. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin just kicks out all, everything. They kick out what's called the market portfolio. <laughs> and then they end up kicking out the risk-free asset. So, so again, so this, first of all, this little research paper struck me so odd because, you know, I've like written these things and I've worked at companies that made these things. I've never seen anything be leaked out or, there's mm-hmm. a, I, I remember my reaction at the time was this kind of looks stupid, but there's a reason we are being meant to see it. Mm-hmm. And it just the the thing that dawned on me is so I think BlackRock, a member want to get rid of their bond bags, but are having um, an awakening about Bitcoin. Clearly, there's a capitulation uh, from saying it's an index of money laundering. Mm-hmm. Um, there's quite a you know, clearly there's a big heel turn. Mm-hmm. Describing um, it as hope, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they, it's and it's not the only turn they've made. Like they, they, it's like a, a phase shift. Like they're changing on ESG stuff, or at yeah. least they're you know, in the you see it in the the media. It's just all of a sudden, right? Oh my god! It's, I mean, even on cool. like yeah, but so to see this paper, right? So you, you know, you saw this KPMG report that said Bitcoin's great for ESG. So like they're they're, they're clearing the deck, they're clearing the decks and clearing the runway to go to do something to do this okay i believe this paper suge- what it suggests to me potentially is that they are they're looking at bitcoin as a risk-free asset mm-hmm. in their portfolio construction yeah um which honestly to a bitcoiner makes no fucking sense mm-hmm. this whole investment conversation is kind of absurd i love like alan farrington's paper on axiom capital like and it, like that you know it this is such a fiat conversation but you know, in the in the in the fiat game, this stuff is important. It has and ramifications for the real world. It has lives. ramifications. So it's like this is the kind of thing that hit me hard because if I didn't get if I like didn't understand Bitcoin and I never got into Bitcoin, this would be this would be something I'd be trying to understand, like the implication of like right. pretty hard. Right. Um. So if, if so, why would BlackRock consider Bitcoin risk free asset? I mean, economy. Like, it kind of makes sense that 
so if you look at the year that bonds had last year, I mean, Bitcoin has no counterparty risk. Bitcoin has infinite duration, really, essentially. Right. Right. It's a great candidate, but Pete, the, the criticism is the drawdown. It's like, okay, I have a draw. How could I have a risk-free asset that will draw down eighty percent in a given year? Well, BlackRock's long bond portfolio yeah, drew that. down sixty to seventy percent in twenty twenty-two. You know, even uh, the darling short, you know, the Lehman Ag, which was is considered the risk-free asset for the rest of the world, um, what well, had like negative twenty percent. So now that you have a big drawdown and massive counterparty risk, really, right? I mean, the U.S. was <laughs> was downgraded by Fitch. I know nobody cares about Fitch, really, but people seem to be responding to this, right? I mean, S&P downgraded them 10 years ago. Fitch is yeah. a legit, you know, I mean, I know Fitch. I've, I've gone through rating agency right. reviews with them. They're legit. You know? and, and, and back to the integrity by debasement after S&P downgraded uh, the credit of the United States, they quickly changed the policies and regulations and, and laws in some cases where you had to have a certain allocation in AAA bonds or government mm -hmm. sovereign bonds because it was like, all right, well, no longer does the United States fit this AAA rating. So we'll just make that part of the the requirement is that it's a government bond. So it's, you know, it's, yes. it's the Change same the as AAA. Bonds. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, they're basically saying, look, if U.S. isn't AAA, then there is no AAA. Uh, whatever that you want to rate the U.S., it's always going to be the highest. Yeah, and, it's the safest, in, right. you know, according to institutional policies. So, so I think it's actually reasonable to think that BlackRock has gone through a process where they understand Bitcoin enough to think about it. Uh, they have some people there who that are high and up enough Right, that understand that there's no counterparty risk, which probably 85% of TradFi doesn't understand that at all. <laughs> right, but they right. understand, so they understand properties of Bitcoin enough to consider this and, but are really like, but it's really about, I still think it's about managing this liability, mm -hmm. but it's going to have this effect. So they, you know, it's going to have this effect of them essentially shedding. Their, all of their current assets and eventually replacing it with Bitcoin. It may be that this ETF for them is the hedging vehicle. Right. And they don't really right. care if they have to drive it up or down, but they mm -hmm. have their head now that they have their, because in my business, um, I looked at the ETF as a potential hedging vehicle that um, there's now products that I can recommend that have Bitcoin in it. Yeah. If that ETF exists then, you know, like it's on. What is your, what is your thought or your take on when, I mean, this is a very oversimplistic question, but it's the Bitcoin Twitter question. Is this good for, is this good or bad? Is this good or bad? Well, here's How why you answer good. that. Yeah. Okay. I'll say, here's why it's good. I've covered. So uh, I've really covered a lot of why it's irrelevant and potentially shitty. The, the most horrible outcome is going to be when Coinbase loses the coins and we just, you know, there will be ruggings, like for sure, right? I mean, It'll it's be a, like it's, the digital version of the, 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 the ship that sinks on its cross-Atlantic journey with all the gold in it. Well, it's almost like... Found, the sink, you know? Yeah, the it, sinking it, of the Titanic. That's great. That's great. It's Not so the Titanic, absurd. yeah, but... Or, yeah, anyways. Absurd. The one kink in this... That's like the worst argument is the fact that like BlackRock in my view of them, 
of with any effort that they thought was really important would not like get into a relationship with Coinbase or any company right. that fucked up. Right. Right. Um, so that's that, that, you know, there are, there's definitely going to be like, there's, uh, this isn't, nobody's going to be focused too much on execution here. Right. They want to get this thing off. The, this is about a state change. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it's irrelevant to Bitcoiners, right. Bitcoiners hold Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Don't hold ETFs and don't hold IOUs and don't care about asset classes or derivatives, right? Um, I think that it's going to suck for people who think they have Bitcoin and don't. It's going to certainly suck for those guys, but I guess that's just the price of not educating yourself. So here's where, so here's where I think I've now kind of convinced myself that things, this may be really good for Bitcoiners. And this crystallized listening to safe and FOSS discuss this. Um, I mean, it's the fact that this will defund the Fiat Ponzi, right? If this really goes out to its limit, um, this does defund, it, it defunds so, the Ponzi. So it's, you know, the, one of the things, one of the people who really made Bitcoin click for me was Preston Pish. And he used to talk about the, 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 the bond market, the cracks in the dam, and that it was just going to be a flood. And then, you know, that was a kind of a common theme that people talked about the bond market and, and Bitcoin being a replacement for that. And then Greg Foss came along and started it. The, the popular th- saying was like a credit default swap on sovereigns, which honestly is kind of the same thing as, is replacement for a long bond. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's almost like it's also a catalyst, not just as a CDS, but like as the, the reason creating the reason you need the CDS. It's almost like a, a, an insurance policy, you know, like the guy that burns his own house down to, to get the insurance policy with, it almost sounds the same way, right? Like it's like, they're just, just go a to bigger Bitcoin scale, much, much and, bigger scale. And, and running to Bitcoin will cause yeah. the bond collapse, not that the bond collapse causes people to run to Bitcoin. Yeah, I think the insurance term here might be adverse selection, where so somebody knows they're really unhealthy, and so they mm-hmm. tend, right? They would tend. They not, open up a policy. They like, wouldn't buy a long annuity. They would buy a life right. insurance policy instead. Right. And that, right. So you have more people, sort of, you know, more unhealthy people would tend to buy life insurance, and more healthy right. people tend to buy annuities. Right. Right. So, but the, so the thing here is, you know. You know, we talk a lot about how, well, when the confidence game goes down and when everybody, when, when enough people realize how fucked the system is, it's going to be in trouble, right? BlackRock is big enough <laughs> to be enough possible, but really here. Right, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. If, you know, if, if they exercised, you know, I don't know, it's, I, I struggle and maybe you'll, you'll have an opinion on this, but, um, the the event the day that it gets approved right and then but more importantly the day that it starts trading whenever that is um is it you know is it one of those events that the just marks the beginning of this crazy bull parabolic run or is it like one of those i guess where volume comes in and price goes down i get i mean you'll notice i never mentioned the price and right the even the good or the bad here you know 
the, the main reason for that is that I, I think that for Bitcoiners, it's so much more meaningful what as what might happen to the bond market. So like we if now if if the if the bond market gets demonetized because BlackRock alone had this view and legit really like I'll say legitimized Bitcoin as a risk free asset in the asset management space. That's the snowflake that takes the mountain mm -hmm. down. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Right. And BlackRock may or may not be doing it to load Bitcoin bags. They may or may, you know, I happen to think they have a different reason for doing this. And I think that that re I think that reason, I think it's important to, if I'm correct, they don't care what, they don't actually care what happens to Bitcoin. Right. right? They're, but they see it as a way to get That's from it. point A to point B. Yeah, it's exactly. exactly. It's, 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 it's almost like a politician. Like it doesn't, matter what their intentions were like if you know if they do something you agree with if they pass some policy you agree with it doesn't matter that they had good intentions a politician's a tool it is a you're using a politician to get something passed a law you know if that's your aim um so it's like yep. it, we don't care i mean maybe long-term incentives definitely do matter because they will have you know not that they would just dump all the bitcoin but you know they're just having that those big of bags but then you know it goes back to the black rock is really just the millions of investors or you know tons of people um that own this asset it's not like black rock owns it although they have a lot of discretion i guess to put yeah. it that way so i mean well the black rock cares about bitcoin so much that they're partnering with coinbase okay right yeah <laughs> they, they they just well i mean, I mean they, what, what's the alternative honestly do we well, have like a great alternative where you know i mean at a certain level institutions have to have experts and the best infrastructure and like whatever is considered world-class even though that's a laughable thing to say about coinbase uh you know there are better companies yeah that do i mean they could have done this with fidelity mm -hmm. right true i think i think i think i was you know learning about this whole process and the etf filing was they needed to have the SEC was requiring, you know, that they had a, a a daily close or whatever settlement desk that they used. That was, uh, you know, they had to have the uh, an an exchange of size where the the you know the Bitcoin was that price was being calculated from, so people couldn't just dump on the market to manipulate closing prices and and uh, you know having you know there's a bunch of little stipulations that the SEC was really apparently. Uh, focused on which kind of led them to having to use coinbase but yeah you're right there's the you know fidelity maybe i don't know how good nidig is but they they hold it for uh bny melon so they must be pretty decent it's just there's no other there's no other scenario where blackrock would yeah okay. enter Got into a partnership right. with a company so fucked up sure sure you know yeah, yeah. It, no, i was just gonna say joe calisari describes this thing recently he talks about the idea that you have to um sign a certain agreement where you can be surveyed and you yes. have work with the government yes. surveillance of the nasdaq uh like uh, some, some facility so it seems that you know coinbase is a very surveyed company maybe that's why because they work like this so maybe that's but, why you know back, to his, would, this, but back yeah. to his point right it's like 
they knew that they had to get into bed with Coinbase before they did all this, but they did, they're doing it anyway. Right. Yeah, I think they cleared the deck at least to say, hey, Coinbase better straight at least, you know, straight oh, their shit out and focus on custody and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And I think like everything that's happened clearly is like BlackRock clearing the deck. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think will happen, I think it'll be gradual. And I think the way I think what we'll see is um like you may we may see Bitcoin be added to the S P. That's a good point. You know, we so that's how pensions as, start as an asset or as an ETF or as an actually as a like a you know XBT USD as a um, you know as a, with its market cap waiting in the S and P. I can see uh, that okay. because I could see I could see BlackRock using like an enhanced S and P future, meaning ninety eight percent S and P and two percent their their Bitcoin ETF. They're going to use this ETF to basically start crowding out equity. Mm-hmm. in the pensions and then they're going to use straight up the etf straight up in their bond allocation right to and then they can recommend it in you know 401k programs and stuff where people yep. are just passively putting in a certain amount company matched and x percent of it's going into this uh bitcoin segment of the the portfolio options that they provide those those pensioners and, and 401k employees yeah and of course i i think if also if they're thinking of um if they really are thinking of getting these pensions funded, um, like I know this thinking, like they want, they want an NGU in there. Like that, the only really, the way pensions are funded, the only way to get them to like a hundred percent, the only way to get them to pay out is either going to be wait for inflation to drive rates up mm-hmm. to drive the liability lower mm-hmm. or you go what they call the go with pull of the goalie approach, right? And you just go all in on equities, right? Which is, you know, you have because of ERISA, you have what's called the PBGC put. Have you know? Was there was um, was 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 part of the reaction to going off the gold standard when equities soared and then bonds just became toxic until the early '80s? Was that kind of a similar, you know? Oh my God, we do go into equities. Like that's the, that's, that's the, I guess they trade it sideways ish too, but. Well, it wasn't, you didn't, the problem, what happened back in the eighties was you didn't have, because rates are so high, liabilities are so low. What you had were massively overfunded plans, like massively over, so overfunded that most of the leverage buyouts that happened in the eighties were to just get that plan terminated and pocket you know, pocket yeah. that overfundedness. You mm-hmm. saw it in Wall Street, right? That was a big sure. part of the movie Wall Street. Yeah. But and then they ended up the um, the government enacted like a fifty percent excise tax on that act. <laughs> so because that's basically was happening left and right. Yeah. Um, nobody really embraced equities until after the um, 01, after like the tech bubble crash. That's when like companies really wanted to term they wanted to stop their they wanted to terminate their pension plans, mm-hmm. and but you can't do it unless you fully fund it. Is, wasn't the, the within the United States really pushed to move towards trying to privatize Social Security and trying to get people on uh, private you know market based uh, yep. retirement I mean, plans and away from uh, pensions and and you know, yep that's been trending plan. so yeah. since I'll say like the late eighties when four hundred one ks really started. Obviously, the big trend has been 
you don't see defined benefit plans anymore, really. Right. 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 Um, they're just, you know, you see the ones like the big ones from the big companies, but you don't really see the. There used to be, you know, tens, twenty thousands of defined benefit pension plans. Right. They've all been moved into four hundred one ks, where now the you know the policyholder has all the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do want to be conscious of your time. How are you doing on time? By the way, fundamentals. I'm doing all right. I'm. I'm this really is enjoying a, this conversation. This, this is, really is so far beyond my bedtime that yeah. I'm so I'm screwed anyway. Yeah. Let's just yeah. let's just go. Well, good because <laughs> I I because we we didn't necessarily get well we didn't start by getting too much into your background but we did eventually anyway. Um, but what, how, so, real quickly, how long have you been orange pill? How long have you been a, like, a Bitcoiner that how would you, how would you, as you would yeah. describe yourself? So, uh, probably the newest Bitcoiner that you've probably had in your podcast. Okay. I, I got in to, well, I'll say my first purchase of Bitcoin was in January of 2022. Oof. Amazing. Not a great time. Amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what though? It's like it was the perfect time because yes, no, sure. Like the rabbit hole was right there for me and I fell in as hard as you could fall. You know? What was the and what was the catalyst for you? Uh it's always the, the perfect was, time, by the way. The yeah. The catalyst exactly. the catalyst was the medical freedom movement. And um, you know, I'd always you, you'd hear where like just where I am in finance, my views. And I'd always seen Bitcoin, but never really took it seriously. And it was 2021 was such a year that, you know, it really occurred to me that I might not really ever be free if I don't own Bitcoin. That's really what it's always been about. Um, so mm. now that, you know, is your two years in, what is it? that uh, is really tugging at your, you're piquing your interest and, and really making you think deeper and kind of get you to that next uh, level of the rabbit hole. So I have been in this really crazy progression. Um, it's, I want to say I start this particular base camp that I'm in right now. It started in Thanksgiving of last year with um, Jimmy Song's Programming Bitcoin that led to mastering Bitcoin, which led to uh, base 58. I did that class. That was really cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I did mastering the lightning network. Um, and then, um, and then I did, then I decided to do a cryptography textbook. Oh, right. That's right. You read that on your vacation, right? Which I, yeah, I finished a couple days ago. Yo, that's a fucking and- superpower that you can get through all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is just like grinding every day. I mean, I think there's a there's a certain aptitude I have, and I don't. I've, I'm old enough to not try to force myself beyond that level of aptitude, but you, I do do I do put the time in every day. And so what I'm so what I what I eventually what I am now started is a number theory. <laughs> this cryptography textbook really opened up a whole nother rabbit hole, and I, I'm just like, I know I shouldn't do it, but I can't not. You have but, to, but I got this book on number theory, and chapter eight is gets to gets to how it eventually gets to cryptography. This cryptography textbook had some things um, <clears throat> finite, really got into finite fields, Galois fields, um, 
and then they had this thing called the Chinese remainder theorem that they didn't go into. So I had to get this book to figure out how they did it. So this is just, I kind of just go head first. I don't really question it. You know, I, I try to be like fish, you know, you just follow the signal. If I like the lyrics, I like how it sounds. And yeah, I totally follow the signal. And it's like the gift of my life is that I get to spend two to three hours every morning in intense, intense study. Hell yeah. Can you please DM me the uh, title of that book so I can look it up? Um, yep, we'll do. Before um, before I, I wrap with the last question and, and talk about your, your meetup, um, can you... Fuck, I'm stoned. I, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Uh, yeah, so go ahead. You're starting to meet up, right? Uh, yeah. Can you talk about what led you to do that and... I, 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 can I, can I interject with a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, okay. It has to do with uh, freedom and, it, and, and this, uh, I, I'm getting this vibe from, from you a lot on your tweets on, you know, when I listen to your podcast, you have this uh, connection to freedom uh, or, or seeking of freedom. I'm curious about that. If you can speak to that a bit. Or what is, and, and more importantly, how do you define freedom or what does freedom mean, mean from to your you. perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think certainly freedom from tyranny is probably the first base way I would describe, like, you know, just being, having free will, having mm -hmm. self-determination, um, but also freedom from the rules of just like the, you know, the, when I say the rules, I mean like the rules, the tyranny of experts. Um, yeah. The rules that are there to control you, that are not there to empower you. The freedom to be yourself and to... The freedom um, to overcome yourself and not be uh, affected. When an expert has an opinion, right? It's like, oh, that must be true. But the freedom to overcome that reliance and even figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Anyways, the yeah. The freedom yeah, yeah. to know better. I mean, I'd say the freedom to know better and to be able to live my life the way, uh, you know, based on the work I do and what are the knowledge I, the knowledge I gather and the way I see yeah. fit. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, to me, it's that simple. Oh yeah. Um, I felt for a lot of psyops in the last five years. I hate to say it. Um, and it's probably why I didn't find Bitcoin until I did was that I had to get, even, I had to get through all that. I had to get through all that. I even after TV off. Even after finding Bitcoin, a lot of people, including myself, we still fall for psyops. So that's not uh, that's not necessarily unique to to yep. you. But um, uh, I, the question I was going to ask, uh, you talked about reading. Uh, one book that I've been dying to read that I still have not gotten to yet is uh, Bitcoin is Venice. Can you tell me how? Is it great? Uh, is it awesome? It, it well, it, I. It's a very hard book. It's probably the mm -hmm. hardest. It's like one of it's the hardest cool. books. Written by Alan Farrington. Yes. Um, it's not a I, Carlos Rovelli book. I that, that was the book I finished right before Thanksgiving. That led then then, then I that book was so hard. Oh, that okay. I just wanted to like I really that that book was really inspiring. And, if an actuary um, says it's hard, shit. It's you know you know what else about that book? That book was a really expensive book. Not mm -hmm. not the book itself, but like you read a book and then you see references and you have to buy those books yeah uh, that happened in bitcoin is venice like there were many books i ended up uh, getting yeah out of the references um i think what alan 
Alan just has a really great way of communicating um, first principles and basic. Like, I love the chapter, like, Wittgenstein's money of, like, what would it look like if it made sense? Mm -hmm. What would money look like if it just, like, if it made sense? And I think it was, like, that book was, I think I read that book, it was mostly in a trance. Hmm. And I don't even know if I could express what I learned from it other than it like reorganized them like my molecules. <laughs> it, was a, it was a psychedelic, a psychedelic trip of sorts. Of sorts. You know, I have an eye for like, like it's okay when I read a book to not feel like I'm getting anything. Like I'm mm -hmm. okay. Like just kind of, it's like a long fish jam, you know, it could be 30 <laughs> minutes in and I'm not yeah. really sure where we are, but I trust, like I trust this signal yeah. that we're going to, you know, plane's going to land and there's a reason to be it's just like again you're in the rabbit hole yeah and you don't really quite you know you try not to question it too right. much right unless like you you know what i mean unless you really like you got to stop to smell the roses but sometimes you just got to go if you but, ever take in like mushrooms sometimes you just got to let it take you well yeah so i like i i really wanted to get into it i feel i feel like reading that book got me into alan's wavelength Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like this, this was capitalism. Like that was a very clear, you know, a clear essay on just, we don't, you know, we don't have capitalism really. Right. Right. And he really does a overwhelming, like it, in my mind, he just, he hits it over and over again with a sledgehammer. That's I what see. made it, that's what made it kind of a hard book. It's like, okay, is it done yet? And it's like, nope, he's got more. And the thing I love about Farrington is like, He's starting this company, this Axiom Capital. It's great read, this thing. And he, when the BlackRock ETF came out, he stopped everything and was like, nope, I got to write about this. I am going to research the 40 Act, 33. He basically said, nope, yeah. rabbit hole paused, new rabbit hole. This must happen. I love that. I love people like that. These are like true people. Hell yeah. yeah. I, God, I can't wait to read this. Um did you have anything more, Mike? Take it away, Dan. Awesome. So, you've uh, you've decided to to start start the meetup. Do you, do you want to talk about that? Have you had yeah. uh, any meetups so far? How's that going? I am a meetup maximalist for sure. And um, so, when I started, I told you January twenty two. I think I spent three to four months just destroying my wife <laughs> on theories about what's making sense to me about Bitcoin, learning about it. And she's like, for fuck's sake, can you find a friend or something? Um, I, I scheduled an appointment with Swan private just to talk to somebody. And it was Terrence call. Uh, Terrence calls me and I'm like, let me run some things by. He's like, this is not really what this is for. I'm like, all right, fine. He's like, you might want to try finding a meetup in your area. And, um, I did find a meetup. We had a meetup in Philly and, um, he's been on your show, uh, FOMO Elmer, I think. Oh yeah, Elmer handle. Um, and dude's the man. And I'm forever grateful because I felt at home. It was one of those things like I've been to a lot of fish shows, and you know this feeling when yeah, when you're you know you just feel like you belong there. You just you know. Do you I, see Dave Dave Song there? Yep. Yeah. Definitely have. Good yep. dude too. Yep. Um. So that was great, and then I found the Central PA meetup, which is you know about an hour and a half from um where i live it's out in harrisburg and that's where i met 
business cat and you know, right. totally, you know, we just, we really did click. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even know, like, I, you know, I'm pretty sure we like each other and I'm pretty sure like, but we have an amazing relationship. Like, I feel like I could talk to him. I feel like I could do this podcast every Saturday morning. You could hear, yeah, you could hear, you can, yeah, hear, right. you can hear the connection on the show. For, it seems, yeah. it seems like the show just started at episode 50 or something. Like I, you know, like when I said, I think we like each other, but like, I know I love this man. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, Pause. And I lo- he's a, I love, he's, yeah, he's a brother. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, I love his sensibility about the world and how it combines, like he really has a way of calling bullshit on, or at least, you know, testing me. Yeah. Cause I, I tend to come off as a know-it-all. Um, and you guys do definitely have like a yin and yang vibe where he's, he, he's definitely outspoken uh, on a certain like political yep. side of seeing things. And I wouldn't say that you're the opposite, but I th- you even talked about it where you've got this, um, I don't know, more, you kind of see the the benefits of working and cooperating and the, you know, collective thinking in some instances. Yeah. And so I'm really grateful for that meetup. And there are so many great people at that meetup. And I, lo- I just, so again, I just like, I have nothing but grateful for these. And then the Bitcoin John started and which is another amazing meetup. That's something that Marty Bent kind of um, championed that would happen in Philly. John is a stupid Philly word. That's for, just the term for everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, you know what? I used to think John was a dumb word, but Bitcoin John is a great word. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, we have great meetups there and we have great guests. Now that's a presentation style. It's like a, what they, what Marty calls a proper meetup. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I don't like, I like, I don't miss these meetups at all. And we have a really good one in Lancaster and I decided I wanted one in my hometown. Right. Um, you know, I would love, we had a conversation about Bitcoin embassies and all that, but what I really would love is, well, I'd like my own meetup. Right. It's, oh, yeah. Not unlike maybe starting a band, but it's like, well, I want a space that people come to and experience what I was able to experience, which is learn about Bitcoin. We have a lot of, you know, we have no coiners. I, I know we're coming to our first one, August 16th. Um, I'm really excited about it. I don't know what the vibe is going to be, but like I have somebody coming to do a 101 presentation because I'm worried about <laughs> no coiners just getting accosted by yeah, you know, black pill Bitcoiners, and you know, but I, this is the stuff. This is exactly what I wanted to figure out, toss around, and have in my head. I have a, I have a, I have a couple of good um, co-hosts helping me. Um, shout out Chester and Paul, um, co-hosts. And yeah, so like we're doing it, and people are excited. There's a lot of pride in this town, and um, you know, the idea of orange pilling the town and getting some of the businesses to start accepting Bitcoin is very exciting to like locals here. And it's also a place where like, you know, I have a lot of um, I'll say relationships in alternative health and alternative Mm -hmm. education. And it would be good for them to meet Bitcoiners and vice versa. Good for Bitcoiners to meet those people. And so I'm excited about all of that. Nice. Kind of all of that. Building place. a community within your yeah. community. Nice. Um, I have to ask, Mike's going to laugh. Is this on Bitcoin or events.com so people can find it organically? Um, 
No, it's on Orange. I've basically been doing everything on Orange Pill app. All right. Well, that I mean that's good too. But uh, I help. But yeah. I help run BitcoinerEvents.com. Oh, awesome. From a technical side, so make sure you get that uh, submitted there, so people show up and like, oh, there's a there's an event in my town or the town over. Um, hell yeah. Awesome. Well, fundamentals. Uh, there's a lot we covered here, but there's a lot more I want to cover. Yeah, man. So I hope you'll true. come back uh, sometime. Uh, and talk to us more about some of these theories and stuff that you've been thinking about since this conversation. So really appreciate yep. coming on, man. Can you, Action. can you shill, shill yourself? Just shill and the, where, and, where and to find paper. you and, and, and the podcast. Yeah, yeah. The podcast. Yeah. I would say the best place to find me is on Noster um, and rock paper, Bitcoin podcast. Um, yeah. That's basically it. You know, I have a fiat job that, you, do you want I'm people to suck know, at tomorrow? You want people to know your Twitter or no? Uh, it, I would say irrelevant. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And yeah, please, please send me the title. Like, like, okay. Thanks again for listening to the High Hash Rate podcast. You can find us on Twitter at High Hash Rate, or you can hit up Dan at Heartland Bitcoin, H R T L N D Bitcoin. Or myself, Mike, at Rundance Bitcoin. That's all one word, Rundance Bitcoin. If you're a fellow pleb or you just want to shoot the shit with two high Bitcoiners, reach out to us. Holy Toledo!